A wise preacher knows that on a big Sunday, where you might have a lot of guests, you should have the appropriate message. You know, like Christmas time should be about the birth of Christ, and Easter should be about the resurrection, and agape should be about love, and baptism should be about a new life in Christ, and baby dedication Sunday today should be about how Jesus loves all the little children, right? That should be what I preach on. I'm not very wise today, because I'm going to preach on the prodigal son. If you know the parables, then you know that the prodigal son is not something that you should preach on a baby dedication day. In fact, it might scare away all the parents, because the prodigal son, if you know what a prodigal is, it's a person who spends their money recklessly, uh, wastefully, and, well, if your spouse calls you a prodigal, it's not a compliment, just so you know. Um, The prodigal son acquired a lot of money. If you know the story, we're going to get into it today a little bit. The prodigal son acquired this money so that he could waste it by asking his father for an early inheritance. Before his father was dead, he said, give me half of your money. How arrogant and cocky is that? And that's the prodigal son. That's the disrespect he shows towards his father, asking him for his inheritance. This is how I know the prodigal son was probably in his late teens, early 20s. Because if you know anybody at that age, they're pretty cocky. They think they know everything. But if you're over 30, you know they know nothing. Am I right? Yeah. You were there, men, at one point. You thought you knew everything in your 20s and you realize you don't really know much. Personally, I would not give my son, Ethan, my inheritance if I was still alive. But the only thing I'd give him is a fishing pole. Because, boy, you're going to be hungry, and you're going to need to learn how to catch some dinner. It's not getting anything from me. I might throw in some tartar sauce, too. But Why would the father give his son half of his inheritance? It didn't make much sense to me until I began to study it. I realized that the the father knew this son was going to waste this money, but he gave it to him. He surrendered it to him. And just imagine for a moment how he felt when his son left the house and went off out into the world with all that money. Just imagine how he felt and how what he thought. Would I ever see, will I ever see my son again? Will I ever spend time with him? Will I ever do anything with him again? He's, he's, he's off on his own. I think one of the most difficult seasons that a parent must go through, and parents go through, I've not experienced it yet, but it is when the kids leave the nest. When they go off into the world on their own. Because for many years, as a parent, you make All the decisions for your kids. Parents, are you with me on that? Do you make most of the decisions for your kids? At some point, though, you should stop making those decisions, right? And and move to sort of the guide on the side, as we say. But oftentimes it's difficult. And we like to make decisions for our kids because we know it's the better decision than they would ever make. right? We like to be in control of, of that situation. But it's hard. 
it's hard to just let our kids go off and do their thing. And I, I just can't even fathom it. Um, but I do feel sorry for any parents that try to continue to control their kids' decisions even after they move out because you quickly realize that you really can't control them. You can't do that. Because in the end, they end up resenting it. If anybody's ever tried to control you, what do you do? You put up a wall. And, and you don't open yourself up to that person. So I just want to um, give some godly advice that I see in God's word. And that is, don't try to control um, your kids. Try, stop trying to force them to act a certain way. The book that I gave our parents is called Shepherding Your Child's Heart. And it points that out so wonderfully. The author of the book says, that's what we generally do. We generally try to force our kids to act a certain way because it's a reflection of us. And we want them to look a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain thing. And the reality is we're missing the boat completely if we don't shepherd their heart. If we don't help them see that when they fight with their siblings, it's because of the sin in their heart the selfishness that they have in their heart. And we have to help them see that. We have to shepherd their heart. The best advice I can give you is that when you shepherd your child's heart, you'll help them see that their heart of stone needs to be replaced with the heart of what Jesus can give, a new heart, become a new creation. So if you want a blessed family, if you want your children to love you all the days of their life, Surrender them to the Lord. The way of favor is surrender. We all want God's favor. We want his blessings in our life. But the way to do that is to surrender your children to the Lord. And that's really the message that I want you to see today from God's word. We can't control our kids. We can surrender them to the Lord. And I'm going to give you some examples to show you how um, it turns out when you don't try to control them and you surrender them to the Lord, what the Lord will do. We're going to see that in the word today. Can I pray with you one more time? Father, open our eyes to see the word today. Open our ears to hear the truth. And Father, let us not think that he's preaching to someone else. Let us think and know that he's preaching to us because your Holy Spirit will teach us and it will guide us if we let it. Father, I pray that you will convict us today. I pray you'll convict me that we would not want to always be in control, but that we could surrender it to you, surrender it all as we sang this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. So if you're just joining us for the first time today, we've been going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've uh, done a harmony of the Gospels, sort of harmonizing them, going through the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus, and uh, mainly um, that. So we did that in 2021. We got all the way up until the point of about six months before the crucifixion. And don't you know it? I think I might have planned it out that, you know, when we get to the crucifixion, it'll be Easter. How do you you like that? I can work that out. So we're going to get there, but in um, in 2021, we we saw the first three years. Now we're going to see the the last six months here and and a little bit past that. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 14. If you want a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you or on the shelf in the back. They're free for you. I may not be able to buy you lunch today, but I can buy you a Bible. So... Please, if you need a Bible, take a Bible. That's what they're there for. By the way, it's the best bread you'll ever eat. 
Luke 14, we're going to start in verse 25. In verse 25, it says, Great crowds accompanied Jesus. Three years, Jesus toured Galilee and Jerusalem, had gone to Jerusalem and back more than once. And in those three years, Jesus became famous. He had more Facebook friends than all of us combined. He had more Twitter followers than Trump. He had more YouTube subscribers than Dude Perfect. All right, he was famous. I need you to grasp that and understand that. He was a famous person because of the miracles and the teachings that he did. He had a great following. They were following him. They looked at him and said, wow. And everywhere he did, and they were following what he was doing, and he turns in verse 26, verse 25, he turns to them and he says to them something that surely caught them off guard. He says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that doesn't sound like the loving Jesus that we usually hear about. Who loves the little children, come to me, you know, that kind of thing. But if you followed this past year and you look into the Gospels, you'll realize pretty quick Jesus was very controversial. He was always saying things, especially to the religious leaders, that really ticked them off and bothered them. And here he says to his followers, if you don't hate your family and your life, you can't be my disciple. Wow. Some turned away because they didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see. But if they did want to understand, they would listen a little longer, and he would often tell them a parable or an example, give them an example, and that's what he does here in verse 28. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, really a house, kind of a castle, if you will, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Verse 29, Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation of the house and he's not able to finish it, everybody will mock him saying this man began to build and he was not able to finish. Now in our church today, we have some men, maybe even some women, that have built houses from the ground up. Three of, the, the three of my family right here build houses from the ground up. They know exactly what it takes to build a house. They know the whole cost. Back in 2006, my wife and I bought a lot in St. Clair Shores. Hard to find a lot. We found a decent-sized lot. We were going to build our dream house, a ranch. And we were going to build this house, and, and I was excited to put to, to, um, to work my mad Excel spreadsheet skills. And, and, and I had an Excel spreadsheet of all the costs. Every single thing was going to cost. And I looked up contractors and found out their pricing, and I figured out all the permits, and I asked how much it was, and I had it all worked out, the total cost of, of living in, a, of building a house in, in St. Clair Shores. And then once I figured out the total cost, I was told, now add 30%, because something always goes wrong. Builders, does that sound about right? Something always goes wrong? Well, fortunately for us, we never had to build the house, because the house right next door to our lot went up for sale, and we liked it enough to buy it, and that's where we live now. So we have a double lot, which is kind of a, a blessing. But knowing the to total cost of any project is critical. Otherwise, you can't finish it. He goes on to say in verse 31, 
what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with his 10,000 men to meet him who come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a far, great far way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In other words, you don't go to war with someone unless you know you're going to win. And if you know you can't win, then you ask for a peace treaty. That's smart, right? That's counting the cost. That's figuring out if you can finish this whole thing, if you can follow through with it. And then he says in verse 33, if any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what is the clear point Jesus is making here? He's not saying you have to hate your parents or your spouse or your family or your children. He's not saying you have to be crucified to be a follower. He's not saying you have to be dirt poor. He's not calling you to go walk about with Crocodile Dundee or go on a jog with Forrest Gump. It's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, I must be first. God must be first in your life. If God isn't first in your life, then don't expect any blessings. The way of favor is not that. The way of favor is surrender. He's talking about surrender. You must surrender it all if you want God's blessings in your life. If your children or your lover or your job or your hobbies or your money comes first, God won't bless you. The way of favor is surrender. He wants to be first in your life. And the opposite of that is control. When you live your life always trying to be in control, you never experience the favor that God wants to give you. i give you some examples. You like examples, right? I noticed when we were singing, you're all a little quiet. You know, kind of got your hands. You sitting on your hands? There wasn't a lot of clapping going on today. Maybe we'll work on that for the last song. Liven up a little. Is it hot in here? I'm a little hot, but I wore a sweater day. This is my Christmas present from my, from my wife, so probably picked the wrong day to wear a sweater. But You okay? You're alive? You're excited? You want to know the examples? All right, I'm just making sure. Preachers like encouragement, you know. All right, thank you. All right, so the first story comes in Genesis, and it's Laban, the story of Laban. And mostly you're like, I don't know the story of Laban, but I do know the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Well, Rachel and Leah had a dad named Laban, and Laban tried to control everything. That was the story of Laban. He had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Leah was the oldest, not very attractive, the Bible tells us. Rachel was the youngest, and she was smoking hot. The Bible doesn't actually say those words, but it's pretty close. Jacob fell in love with Rachel immediately because she was so pretty. Now, Jacob made a deal with Laban, their dad, that if he could marry Rachel, he would work for him for seven years. That was the deal. So he worked for him for seven years. The Bible says it felt like nothing to him because he was going to marry Rachel, the woman of his dreams. And he gets to that wedding day, the time where he's about to marry Rachel, and Laban, who wants to be in control of everything, pulls the bait and switch, and he gives him Leah, his oldest daughter. He says, it's customary, you have to marry her. Well, that didn't sit very well with Jacob, as you can imagine. But Laban's trying to control everything. He's trying to control what happens in his family. Well, what happened next was that basically 
Jacob still wanted to marry Rachel. And in the Old Testament, they have more than one wife. And uh, it always seems weird to me. And it's one of those questions I'm going to ask God uh, when I get there is, you know, why did that happen? Um, because marriage always has been from the beginning a man and a woman, right? That's what we see from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. But anyway, Jacob's family, um, he, he worked another seven years and he was able to marry Rachel. So now he has Rachel and Leah, and that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from, his family. Well, his family began to grow, and for six more years, he stays kind of under the, the thumb, if you will, of Laban. He works for him for six years, and it says in six years, Laban changed his wages ten times. So you can see what he's doing to this young man. He's controlling him, he keeps changing his wages, and what that means is he keeps messing with them. Keeps taking away, because what God is doing is God keeps blessing Jacob, and he's doing it by taking from Laban, because Laban's trying to control everything. He's not surrendering. And in the end, after 20 years, Jacob decides, based on what the Lord tells him, it's time to move. We're getting out of here. And he packs up all his stuff, all his possessions, his family, and he moves. And basically, Laban loses everything because he tried to control everything. That's the moral of the story. It's a sad story that Laban would miss out on watching his grandkids grow up, the 12 tribes of Israel. But he didn't get to see it because he tried to control everything. And that's what happens when you do that with your kids. You've got to surrender them to the Lord. The way of favor is surrender. Now let's look at some happy stories. Hannah. Hannah is a wonderful story of surrender. Hannah could not have children for many years. It caused her to be very depressed, and she would go to the house of the Lord, and she would cry and and weep and beg God, God, please, please help me bring a child into this world. She wanted a child more than anything. 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. I have that verse for you here on the screen. She vowed a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and you will remember me, and not forget me, but you'll give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. What a promise. God, if you bless me with a child, I will surrender him to you. That's what she says. That's her promise. And in verse 27, it says that God blessed her. For this child I prayed, the Lord granted me my petition. I made to him, in verse 28, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. I have surrendered him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is surrendered to the Lord. And who is that boy? Samuel. Samuel was one of the greatest prophets to ever live. Because she surrendered him to the Lord. Imagine that, just how wonderful and and happy Hannah was all the days of her life to see her boy. Walking with the Lord, doing the Lord's work because she prayed for him and she surrendered him to the Lord. Do you see, parents, what you need to do? You need to surrender your children to the Lord. The way of favor is surrender. And then we come back to the prodigal son. But really, I'm not telling it to tell you about the prodigal son. That's mostly how that parable goes. Let's focus on the prodigal son. But I'm focusing on the father, the father of the prodigal son. You see, the father here gives his son the money, the inheritance. 
Why does he do that? Why didn't he just give him a fishing pole like I would have done? You know, why, why didn't he try to control his son like Laban did? The answer is godly wisdom. He had to have had godly wisdom to let his son go, not to force him to stay home, not to force him to work, but just to surrender him to the Lord and know that he's going to go out and he's going to waste all this money, and I don't know if I'll ever see him again. But he surrendered him to the Lord. I'm sure that wasn't easy. I'm sure that caused a lot of pain in his life. I'm sure it was difficult. He just didn't know. Now, if you read the whole story, in fact, I encourage you to read all of Luke chapter 15 because you'll see three parables all about something they lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Well, the story, basically, I'll give you kind of a quick um, summary of it, is that he goes out and wastes all the money, and he finds himself in a famine, and there's no work, and there's no food, and so now he's eating the pig's food. He's in the trough eating what the pigs eat. I tell you, that's where a fishing pole would have helped. But he's so hungry and doesn't know what to do that he basically says in his mind, if I could just go home, maybe my father will forgive me enough to hire me on as a servant. And so he heads home. And as he's a far distance off, his father, I just picture him sitting on his porch on a rocking chair, realizes that it's his son coming home. And he doesn't give him a hard time. He doesn't make him eat crow. He doesn't make him beg. It says he runs to his son and embraces him. See, he surrendered his son to the Lord, and the Lord gave him back with interest. What a blessing it was to receive his son back because you know he's a changed man. You know he's not the same that when he left, he's come back. And when we surrender our children to the Lord, we receive them back different, better. We got surrender to the Lord. Of course, if you keep reading that story, you'll find out that his brother wasn't too happy because his dad threw a party for him, but you'll see why. Because he said, that he want, his son was once lost, but now he is found. Amazing grace, isn't it? Now Jesus says in that story, the last uh, example I have for you is the 12 disciples. Um, they literally followed Jesus around for three and a half years. And they saw his miracles, they saw his teaching. And so when they heard Jesus say in Luke 14 to that crowd, kind of what I read to you in the beginning, if anyone comes to me and he hates, you know, if he doesn't hate his own father and mother and his whole family, he cannot be my disciple. If he doesn't bear his cross, he cannot be my disciple. If he doesn't renounce all he has, he cannot be my disciple. Well, they got it. They understood exactly what Jesus meant because they did it. In fact, if you were to um, read in Matthew 4 when you see Jesus calling the disciples, it says specifically that James and John left their father right in the fishing boat. They left them. They had a fishing business, and they left their dad to do that business on his own because they were called to follow Jesus. Simon and Peter did the same thing, Peter and Simon. uh, um, Sorry, Peter and Andrew. And uh, Luke 18, verse 28, this is where I want to bring it back to you. This is what they say to Jesus. In Luke 18, verse 28, Peter says, Jesus, we've left our homes and followed you. 
And Jesus responds this way, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and the life to come. Jesus is the one who said, the way of favor is surrender. When you surrender to the Lord 100%, you can can bet that you will have favor in this life and the life to come. If you want God's blessings, you need to surrender. You need to put him first in your life. He has to come before everything, even your family, even your children. The way of favor is surrender. And how do you do that? How do you really surrender it all to God? I think it begins with prayer. I think you have to pray. And you have to have that conversation with God. And you just have to tell him, I surrender it all. God, not my will, but your will be done for my children, for my spouse, for all the, for my life. God, if I think that I, I know better than you, just hit me upside the head with the two by four. All right, whatever it takes, God, to get my attention, do, it, do what you have to do. But, but I need to surrender it all to you. I, I need you to be in control of my life. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. It starts with prayer. And then once you've prayed that prayer, obviously and meant it, now you really need to do the surrendering part. You can't pray a prayer of surrender and not surrender. It's like opening the car door and saying, okay, Jesus, move over, I'm driving. No, get in the passenger side. Right? I mean, that's really what he's saying. If you surrender, surrender. Faith without action is not faith at all. If you disagree with that, you better read James. Faith requires action, and that means obedience. And I know it's scary to surrender. I know it's hard, especially if you like to be in control, and I'm that person. It's uncomfortable to surrender, it's difficult. It's different. It's change. But I love what the character of Jesus said in The Chosen when he called his disciples. He said, get used to different. I just think that resonates. Just get used to different. Get used to surrendering. Because that's what it takes. Our band's going to come up, and as we play our final song, I want you to think about surrendering, whatever it is that you need to surrender. The way of favor is surrender. The way of favor is surrender. If you want to surrender today, whatever you've been putting first in your life instead of God, you probably know, and I don't know what it is in your life, but whatever it is that you've been putting first in your life, if you choose to surrender today, you can do that. Lots of ways. You can come up here to the altar. You can come to these steps, kneel down and pray, and just hand it over to God. Put it at the foot of the cross. You can stay in your chair and you can pray there. But I encourage you to surrender whatever it is in your life you've been putting first to God. Jesus died so you can have the abundant life. So if you've been trying to be in control of your life, if something's been burdening you, something that you need to surrender, just come lay it down. Because the way of favor is? The way of favor is? I thought you might get it. I said it a lot. Let's pray. Father, as we sing this song, Lord, let, the, let that part of us that is scared to go forward, scared to give up whatever it is in our life, let it just help us, God. Help us to let go. Help us to 
surrender it all to you. God, we want your favor. We want your blessings. And if we're going to receive your blessings, we need to surrender everything to you. God, you, you have the best plan for our life. I pray we believe it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.